Welcome to the Energetic Radio Podcast. My name is Dale Sidebottom. Each week, I'll bring you inspirational guests who will help you bring fun, energy, and purpose into your lives. Let the show begin. Alrighty, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast, episode number 296 with Betsy Hill. How are you, Betsy? I'm impressed. 296. Yeah, who would have been great to be here? <laughs> Thank you. Who would have thought that uh, there'd be that many people out there that would like to talk to me? Well, Betsy, I am stoked to have you now. Before we get into everything you're doing, what has really lit you up for the last seven days? Has there been something that has made you smile, made you feel amazing that's happened in the last week? Actually, there is. We got a message um, a couple of days ago from the father of uh, a child that we had worked with 15 years ago. And he said, I just wanted you to know that my child, my son has, uh, uh, is doing really, really well. And he's now, a, I think an electrical engineer or a civil engineer, some kind of engineer. And um, he said it, it, the experience of working with you guys transformed his life. Wow. And, so 15, when you hear that 15 years later, because we work with children when they're, when they're young, when they're, you know, eight or in their teens or whatever. And, and uh, it's just, it's so rewarding and so fulfilling to hear someone later, you know, remember and recall and, and uh, know what, what an impact we were able to have. It's um just listening to that, um, and I know a lot of fellow teachers listen to this. And uh, one of those things when you you are in the education game is you don't always see the the outcomes or the impact you're having. And um, like we always talk about different different trees and bulbs and sprouts, they all they all generate differently. And it's exactly the same as children. We're going to talk about that. So how nice is it? That would have, I could imagine, and I can see your face, Betsy, it would have just been the most amazing message to get. Yeah. It just, um, it's why we, you know, it's why you get up every morning and do what you do. And, you know, um, you don't, as you said, you don't always see it, but sometimes you really do. And you see the, the, especially in the work that we do, because we're, working on cognitive skills we're we're changing um you know how effectively our children's brains work and when they go from struggling to that that you know uh those kids who just you know every time they haven't have to work on the school assignment or they go to school and they just you can just see it them deflate and and they struggle and it's difficult and then when that starts to turn around um, it's just, it's like magic. You know, you just, you see things start to click. That's why, that's what keeps us all getting up every morning and doing what we do. It does. So so true. And um, before we obviously get into today, what we're going to talk about, if somebody is listening and there's, you know, there's a teacher or there's somebody out there that has had that impact on you, maybe uh, once you finish listening to this awesome podcast, be a great opportunity for you to reach out and let them know the impact they've had on you. I think uh, it's always a really nice thing to do. A lot of time, Betsy, we think it, but we don't actually say it. So that could be my little bit of homework for everyone today. So Betsy, we're, everyone wants to know a little bit more about you. Obviously, you're a parent to three boys. Um, that's a massive job in itself. I know I've got two boys and that's keeping me very busy. You're an award-winning author, educator. Where to start? I, I wouldn't do it justice. Do you want to give yourself a little bit of an explanation to the guests out there. Sure. So um, I, I, 
am a mother of three boys, which is probably the most important thing about me. I now have two granddaughters who are nine and six, and they are just amazing. It's fascinating to watch them, especially knowing, you know, what I understand now about how our brains develop. And so it's it's um, just very special. Um, and I started off, um, I like to say a million years ago when dinosaurs still roamed the <laughs> earth. Uh, I, I, I taught um, foreign language in high school and I was really interested in how our brains manage language. You know, how we, we, as humans, we do this and uh, the rest of the animal kingdom does not. And just was fascinated. And how do we learn it and how do we use it and how does our brains make sense of it? It's a very, seems like a very complex thing. And, um, and there was no science at the time. So I took the philosophy of language. I took the psychology of language. I took linguistics. There was no neuroscience at that time. Um, and uh, well, the, it was purely in um, in a in the laboratory at, at that point in time. So it, it had made its way. And what I have been fortunate enough to do, and I did, I, I love teaching, like many teachers do. Um, and a lot of that was because there were students that I that learned very easily, and there were students that really really struggled. And I was committed, like and as enthusiastic as any new teacher. Um, but there were kids I didn't, I just didn't know how to help. I didn't have anything in my toolkit and didn't understand what learning really was going on. And so I didn't have those tools. Um, and of course I've come back to it now because I have had the great good fortune of connecting uh, with uh, a lot of people, but one of the main people was uh, a woman named Dr. Patricia Wolf, and she wrote a book called Brain Matters. She's one of the pioneers of applying neuroscience in education and studied the neuroscience research and, and then helped us really uh, appreciate what what is going on when learning happens and how we can use that information. And that in, that's one of the reasons that we've written this the book that we wrote as well which is to share this, to, to help people understand that there is a science to learning. Um, it's, you know, there's art to it as well, but when we um, understand the neuroscience, we can do things differently than we do and much more effectively. Mm, I, I love that. And let's, let's get straight into that then, because that is the main reason uh, I, I want to join you today, Betsy. And um, sometimes people might think it's selfish, but I do a podcast because I want to learn off people that I find fascinating and doing an amazing thing. So your new book, your child learns differently. Now what the truth for parents. And as I just said, I'm, I'm a parent and I want to make sure that, you know, my boys are getting everything they need. So let's talk about your book. What, what can we expect? And um, particularly for parents, what are, what are some things we can start doing straight away, Betsy, to really help our kids? So, one of the things that we know, well, the, the, we, we actually have five steps that we talk about in the book, and, and we can probably start with step one. Step one is to take the wheel. It's to, uh, you know, we have in large measure trusted our children to the education system. We take them to school and we drop them off, and then we sort of hope that everything will happen well. And Sometimes it does. I don't know you and I don't know your boys. So uh, 
<laughs> so I hope that they're they're doing well and enjoying uh, school and all that kind of thing, but they may not be all the time. And um, so the the important thing about this is that um, parents are usually the first ones to see this when um, children are struggling academically. And which is sort of surprising. We think, oh, well, the teacher must know about this. Or if my child isn't reading well or is having difficulty in math, we say, oh, well, the, the, surely the school knows about this. Surely the teacher does. But I have to say that's not really the case very, very often. And when we talk to parents, which we do all the time, um, a lot of, and especially during uh, coming out of the pandemic, you know, when kids were at home doing remote schooling for the first time and parents are there observing them, and seeing what those struggles were and not having necessarily appreciated it and, and seen that before. So um, so there was were a lot of parents who said, you know, this, something's not right here. Something's not going well. And, um, uh, and really found that the, the first step for them was to say, okay, I need to take charge. There's nobody who loves my child more than I do. There's nobody that cares. There's nobody that understands them. We're the ones that, you know, and, and it's mom or it's dad uh, and, you know, uh, Johnny or Susie or comes home from school one day just sort of deflated, not as enthusiastic, not that little chipper step that they used to skip <laughs> home with and uh, or, you know, doesn't really just dread, starts to dread doing their homework. And and that may not show up at school right away. Um, and that's a real clue. It's a, to say. Something's going on here because when kids struggle with school, with reading and math and the rest of the curriculum, usually the reason is not the curriculum. Usually the reason is actually not even the teaching. Usually there's something going on. And, and this is when we have to start learning about how our children learn. So it's not enough to know that, you know, they're going to get curriculum that teaches them to read because... You can learn all of the skills you need to be a good reader and still have trouble reading because of these underlying skills. And so we're talking about things like attention, um, our memory skills, visual processing, auditory processing, the way that our brains learn. This is how our brains take in information from the outside world and they organize themselves. We physically change our brains. We build our brains in order to read and to do math and to learn everything that we do to walk. You know, remember when your kids were starting to learn to walk and they would you know, take a step or two and plop down and get up right away and try it again. Because that's how we learn to do things like walking. Yeah, so so true. And with that, exactly what you just said there, I think it's a really important point for parents, but really anybody that, I'll talk about this a lot, Betsy, that your health and happiness is your own responsibility. Nobody's going to do it for you. And essentially it's the same with your kids that you can blame other people or you can pass the buck. But at the end of the day, you're the one that is responsible for them. And there's things you can do is, do you find that sometimes that it's a hard conversation to have with parents because it's sort of really truthful and looking in the mirror that, well, maybe I need to do something here or that sometimes I don't want to hear that. It, it, it can be um, a lot of the parents that we talk to have, gotten to the point where they just feel they have no choice and they are really sort of desperate to to get some help. And yep. so they 
they've they've tried other things and and it hasn't worked. But sometimes it is. You know, you'll talk to a parent who's and their child is in high school, and you'll ask them, well, how long has whatever problem that they've been observing, how long has it been going on? Well, we realized in kindergarten that there was something different, or first grade or second grade. And then it's really hard to say, well, why didn't you do something about it? Um, and it's, and, you know, there are a lot of, there are a lot of reasons. It's, it's very understandable. You know, we, we, um, a lot of times our friends will tell us, oh, don't worry, he'll grow out of that, or she'll grow out of that, or that's just a stage, or they, you know, they, they'll eventually learn, everybody learns at a different rate, and, and all of those things are true, but a lot of times you just know in your gut and you and if you have that feeling trust it and then it's time to really think about it and another reason that i think parents are hesitant is that none of us uh as parents unless we're you know have been trained we don't think we're educators so we don't think we should know about this but the truth of the matter is that most educators also don't know about what we talk about in the book, but they don't really understand this, uh, these underlying cognitive skills, the way that our brains take in information, what to do about them, how to assess them, um, how to develop specific strategies, how to help our children actually improve those skills. If they did, teachers being what they are, we know that they just would love to make every child successful. You know, if they did know this, they would be doing it already. And and so um, so it's really important for parents because it's not necessarily going to come from from school. Um, and there are a lot of wonderful teachers, very committed, very hardworking, um, but they don't always have those resources or uh, the information yeah. to, uh, to yeah. impact this. So true. And not only that, that uh, teachers at the moment, they're so stretched with so many different things. They've got so many kids. Like it's, uh, I, I see it all the time and I take my hat off to them because they're doing such a wonderful job. Um, but realistically, if you've got 25, 30 kids in your class, Betsy, like you, you can't physically be on top of everything. Um, and that's what you're saying, you know, take the wheel. I think, I think it's so relevant. If, if your child had a hole in their tooth or a toothache, you're not going to put it off from kindergarten to high school. It's exactly the same. <laughs> well, the poor kid would have some bad teeth. <laughs> very, very true. Yeah. Uh, I, I like that. So take the wheel. Number one, um, what's number two? Well, number two is, um, uh, the wanting us to be able to um, um, set high, keep up high standards. Um, so one of the things that tends to happen in school is that um, people will encourage us and say, "Well, your child is is having difficulty with this, and they they may never be you know really very good at this, and you just can't expect too much of them." Or we as parents don't want our kids, we don't want to watch them struggle, and so we might help them a little bit or make things a little bit easier. But the, what really happens then is that they lose confidence in themselves because they see, they they know that mom or dad is going to step in if they get to be feeling struggle. And so they're, they won't try as hard and they won't push as hard. And the other thing is that when you have those high standards, you will go and search out the kinds of resources that your child needs to be 
able to make them successful. So um, it'll foster that energy and that commitment to, um, to seeking out information, resources, uh, ways to help that, that um, are not just going to fall in your lap. You, they're going to, you're going to have to seek them out. Yeah. And, and not only that, be, again, it's more rewarding as well for you as a parent, because, you know, there's so many things out there now that you're not always going to find the right thing straight away. Um, but when you do, it's, do you know what I mean? It, it's such a good feeling that, you know, you've put that work in and you're, you're really helping your kid and you're not passing the blame. You're doing it and you've found it. it it's crucial. Right. And, and with many of these, what you you learn so much about your child, you get so much insight into your child that you never had before. Um, and you in many cases, so in in the when we're working on these underlying cognitive skills, and step three is actually build cognitive infrastructure is is help your child develop the the skills that are essential for learning, everything from attention, to things like working memory, and uh, there's a whole class of these. They're just, these are mental processes. It's how information gets into our brains, is organized, stored, retrieved, applied, and and our brains are or, organize themselves and learn in interaction with the environment. So that's how it starts. So if all that's happening efficiently and accurately, that's wonderful. But if there are some teachers listening to the podcast, I would ask you to consider whether you have ever had a class full of students with great attention skills. And every time I ask a group of educators to stand up, if they have that, I've never had anybody stand up. <laughs> and attention is one of those. <laughs> attention is one of those obvious ones. You know, we uh, we uh, see kids who are, uh, you know, we ADHD is. We want to assign that to lots of kids these days. Sometimes they they need that diagnosis. Sometimes they don't really. But um, you know, so attention is is something that that we see and sort of observe. But there are a whole bunch of other skills that are happening. Um, whether or not you take in information visually effectively and you know keep it organized, whether you can um, are good at judging where things are in space relative to each other and how they're rotated, whether you know, you're taking in information and keeping um, it in the right sequence when it comes in. And so all those can be underlying issues uh, that are real stumbling blocks to the learning process. And so that's really why we um, we know how important it is, because when they're struggling, then it's much harder for kids to um, stick with it, to, you know, be uh, engaged, um, you know, you know what it's like when there's something you think you're not very good at and you say, oh, well, you know, maybe I'll pass on that today. You know, maybe I'll put my head on my desk or maybe I'll be the class clown today so that I can, I don't have to answer that, do that math problem that I don't know how to do. Mm, and I'm nodding my head here because that's exactly what I, I used to do, Betsy, when I was in school, because You'd see, you'd play activities or you'd do things and you knew there'd be levels and you, you'd look on the wall and there's what level you're in. And I was always in the low level or you'd play a game and you'd lose and you'd have to sit out and watch. And that's where it's really important that it's not always about winning or losing. It's just about playing and having fun and being engaged. And I think that's one of the, the most important things I've noticed with engagement that 
it comes through play. And when you can get that engagement, then, you know, you, you, you've got people, you've built that relationship, that trust, and then you can go a little bit deeper. Um, how, and this is a really selfish question. How important is that play element with, you know, that cognitive learning and for kids to be sort of engaged with what they're doing, but also being able to process everything that's going through their mind? So I, I completely agree with you. And I think that play, gaming, is way underestimated in terms of its if its potential. And actually, uh, so when we the the program that we use that helps build these cognitive skills is actually delivered in a video game format. So it is yeah. incorporates the best practices of video games. So it has characters and it has action and it has grab you know nice graphics and it has reward systems <clears throat> and all those kinds of things. And that, you know, when you're playing a game, you can try stuff that you wouldn't. And I also use a lot of games when I teach in the MBA. I teach in an MBA program. I teach strategic thinking, and we do a lot of games. And I, I tell my students the reason we, and these are adults, learners, but uh, I tell them the reason we do these games is because nobody dies. You know, you can, you can, <laughs> you can try. You can make a mistake. You can do it over again. And you get another life, you get another chance to do it. And so it's a safe environment. It's the, it's, and that's what we need. You know, you don't learn and you don't get better at doing things that are above where you're able to perform right now by sitting there and only doing the things that you already know how to do. You have to reach, you have to be, go a little bit beyond where your, that comfort zone is. And in a gaming environment, you know, when it, especially when you're on a computer and you're sort of playing, you know, against yourself, that's a lot easier. You know, I, I, it's sort of, it's a little, you know, sad to, when you think about kids playing a game in school or in that spelling bee where you had to sit down because you <laughs> couldn't spell Got it wrong. Word. I still can't spell either Betsy. So I, I'm still sitting down. <laughs> Well, you know, and I happen to be a wonderful speller, and I remember winning a spelling bee with the with the uh, capital of the state of New of New Mexico here in the U.S., which is Albuquerque. So I won't ask you to spell that. Oh, it's please, just fine, please, but... <laughs> please don't, please don't, Betsy. <laughs> so and 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 that's all fine. And but that's another point about what's what um, sort of the limitations of education is that. In a typical classroom, which is we in school, we tend to focus so much on what a kid can't do. You know, oh, that he hasn't learned to spell Albuquerque yet. He hasn't learned to his all of his times tables. He hasn't done this, and so we're always looking at those gaps. And what we we don't do, but what we can and we should do, is understand a child's strengths. So obviously, you were meant to uh, do a podcast and to entertain and to okay. inquire and to be just really curious about a lot of things in the world. And, and there are probably some underlying cognitive skills that really allow you to do that. I'd like to talk about it as, you know, we're, we're always in search of, of whatever, of doing something um, that we do well that likes us back. You know, we so you, you find how your skills fit up against the things that you get to try and, and try to do. And, and when kids understand what their strengths are, so here's, here's a really simple um, example. 
Um, you may remember having a, no assignments to learn new vocabulary when you were in school. And my guess is your teacher might have asked you to write the word, write the definition of the word, and write the word in a sentence. And I'm going to just go out on a limb here and say that that was, uh, especially because you just told me that spelling was not your forte. And I'm going to go out on a limb and say that that kind of assignment was excruciating for you. Oh, and it took you a long busy. time. Oh. And, it did, and it didn't stick, right? No, obviously not. Obviously yeah. not. <laughs> <laughs> so my guess is if we gave you a cognitive assessment, that what would, we would find out, among other things, that your ver visual memory is much stronger than your verbal memory. So that is your memory for pictures and diagrams and charts and graphs. So if you probably drew pictures of things to help you understand them and remember them. Yeah, so you found your way to that. But nobody told you, Dale, you have really strong visual memory. And so, and here's how you can use it to study your vocabulary words and to be more efficient and to be more successful. And so that's really where we start is with understanding those skills and then helping kids understand them. And when I talk to them, I talk to them about their learning superpowers. And I tell them, you know, where they're really strong. And I said, in any learning situation, you pull out, this is like the Superman cape in your closet. You pull that out and you put it on when you're having difficulty learning something. And this is what's going to get you through that. Oh, I, I love that because and the more we think about it, why do we focus on the things that children or even adults are not good at? And I think we're our own worst enemies at this. And you would see it in the MBA program with the adults you're working with now. We're just ingrained to focus on the negatives and put ourselves down. Whereas in teams or any environment, you don't have the best ability at everything. That's why it's a team. It's a workplace. You know, you uplift each other. It, it, it really frustrates me. You can probably tell by my hands and everything now that instead of focusing on the negatives, why don't we focus on the things we're really good at and embrace that? Because when we're doing that, the other areas of our life will feel more confident and probably have a go at things. Whereas if you're focusing on negatives all the time or things you're not good at, it's never going to change. No. Well, you know, Things you're not good at, and when you say you can't change things you're not good at, there's a. I want to do a little twist on that because yeah, go for it. one of the so one of the things that we you know a lot of us have believed for a long time because we we grew up being told it is that intelligence is fixed, you know. So and and intelligence isn't just one thing. So it, and we've figured that out too. So it's a little bit even more complicated than that. But you know, we if you say Oh, I, I don't have good verbal memory. Therefore, I should just ignore that. Um, or I don't have good, I, I have difficulty paying attention. Or I have difficulty with working memory, holding information in my mind while I think about it. Well, there are work some workarounds, but at the end of the day, we're going to be far more successful, both in academics and in life, if we can hold a reasonable amount of information in our mind while we think about it. It's essential for reading comprehension for keeping track of where you are in a math problem. It's essential for what we're doing now, having a conversation where I keep in mind the question and you know track whether or not I've I've answered it and, and you're listening and thinking, oh, I want to ask her this. That's all <laughs> happening in, in working memory. That's our only conscious processing. 
And that's a cognitive skill. It's a cognitive process. And we can actually help improve that. So, you know, I, I, I think the other, another message that we often, um, we really want to try to get people to understand is that if children struggle with some of these skills, they can be strengthened and they can be built up with this cognitive training that I was talking about. And then it's, then they're not those stumbling blocks. Things are just easier. And the combination of understanding where their strengths are, plus increasing and improving and having all these skills work better together does tremendous things for self-confidence. It's the number mm. one thing we hear from the parents we work with is that their children have greater self-confidence. They're willing to take on more difficult challenges. They they just, because they've been through this experience where they know that, and they've seen their, their own growth. Yeah. Yeah. It's, isn't it, isn't it funny that they come to you for a solution to something and they end up leaving, like getting something completely different that they didn't even realize they needed. <laughs> well, they can't imagine it because most yeah. of it, you know, kids who have struggled have, have had a lot of difficulties and then usually are pretty, there's a lot of anxiety uh, and a lot of um, stress, a lot of depression. Um, and you know, we're not therapists. We don't, and we don't give people drugs to treat anxiety. Um, and some people do need that, but if it's coming from this difficulty of a learning situation, because our, our brains are pretty amazing things and a learning situation just in and of itself can be threatening. Um, you probably remember, you know, something and you, didn't question that the teacher was asking and, you know, just hoping she didn't call on you or he didn't call on you. Yes. Trying to hide. We've all had that. (laughs) We've all had that. But for kids who have that a lot, it's, you know, it's, it's a threatening situation and our bodies react the same way to that kind of a threat as they do to a man eating tiger. Mm. Our, Our pulse starts to race Our we start to sweat, we get, you know, short of breath because we're getting ready to fight or to flee. And that's, that's the mechanism. It's a, we've evolved to, to do that because it's very, it helped us stay alive when we were running around on the prairies and uh, things like that, but in the Savannah and, um, but our, we react the same way. And so, um, so that's something that, um, we can we need to bear in mind as well because we can as teachers make learning situations much less threatening much safer um and also help children develop the the understanding and the skills where they can actually um be able to meet those expectations and have confidence that they're going to be able to learn something even if they can't do it yet yeah so true. And and to give it a try, not to be worried about failing um, or judgment. I think these are things that are, are real. They're going to be more real, particularly with technology and social media and everything. And I, I can imagine parents, teachers, kids even nodding along at the moment, and they agree with that. Um, so I couldn't agree more. And I love the sound of it. I also want to know, what what did you learn about yourself from the whole process of writing this book, Betsy? What did uh, Was there something that you took away or you, you didn't know about yourself that sort of come to light from the whole experience? That's a, that's a really interesting uh, question. You know, I guess what I've learned 
all through this process. I mean, the 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 process of writing the book was just an amazing experience because we got to revisit so many of the the stories and the people that we had worked with. And um, so what it maybe not so much knowing about myself, but just having the this blessing of of the rewards of revisiting those stories and hearing about them and how affirming they are and how much how and how important it is you know you start because you want to share a message but you really becoming convinced that how of how important it was and and how much we're committed to um to helping parents understand this um, you know, this has got the power to transform education, and neuroscience does. It it changes. It just changes the 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 rules. It changes our fundamental understanding, because a lot of education functions as if the brain weren't even part of it. You know, the the um, most teacher training programs do not. People will never hear the word brain. It's still the case today. Some are changing. It is changing. Um, but th what that means is that we have we treat learning as if it happens somewhere other than the brain, which is really where all that learning is happening. And then we don't understand what is going to actually create those stronger connections in the brain, the way that's going to solidify the learning. Um, you know, we have. Uh, and I hear from others that it's not a whole lot better around the world, but we only have about 35% of fourth graders reading proficiently at grade level in the United States. Uh, and I don't know that the exact statistic in Australia, but it's, it's not, it's less Sorry. than 50%. Yeah. I, my yeah. guess is it's I love that. That's not sustainable, mm. right? We can't, we can't, we can't do that. We have to do something different. And when we know we know from the research now is that 50% of the variance in academic outcomes is determined by our cognitive skills more than any other factor. It's not class size. It's not curriculum. It's not technology. It's not all these other things. It's, it's what the learner brings to the party. Mm. And when we know we can uh, help them grow those cognitive skills and become stronger learners, you know, you talked about how quickly the world is changing and and the importance of learning in that context. And it's, I think that the, for kids today, the most important thing we can do is to help them be great learners because they're going to have several different careers in their lifetimes. The world is changing so quickly. We don't know what those jobs are going to be. Um, we don't know how to predict that. Now, I think about this all the time for my granddaughters. They're going to have opportunities. Couldn't I, I, We don't even know what they are. Yeah. And so they're going to have to learn and they're going to have to relearn and they're going to have to relearn. It's the, the days when you can have a career and do the same thing for 20, 30, 40, 50 years. That's just not going to happen anymore. Hmm. It's it, it's exciting, but it can also be quite daunting. I'm guessing for a lot of people that um, with it changing so quickly, that that brings fear. That brings that anxiety up a lot. Yes, it does. And and especially when we've, for those of us who have been, who have struggled in school, we've struggled with learning. It's hard 
it's hard, you know, and, and when we didn't always have those skills and we always felt that we were sort of maybe stupid, you know, every kid in a classroom can tell you who the smart kids are and who the dumb kids are. <laughs> Again, yes. Right? Because, because the system just sort of creates an environment where that the skills that, that are needed in that kind of situation may not be the most important for life, but they are important for the test and they're important for that. So we don't always get to see it. And instead, if we, you know, really applied the neuroscience and said, we can take these, all these children, we can help them understand their strengths. We can appreciate, we can say, I want to be on Dale's team because he has great visual memory and visual processing skills. And I want to be, he wants me on my team, on his team as well, because I have great verbal reasoning skills. Yeah. And then we want, we want um, Cynthia to be on the team because she can create great presentations. And then, and when we start to appreciate those different skills and help people learn new skills and recognize that a mistake is just an opportunity to learn that we all have to do that. That's what, that's really what can transform it. We we can do a lot better than we're doing in education. Oh, Betsy, I've got a, I look like a Cheshire cat at the moment. I'm smiling that much because really it's about getting an A in life, isn't it? Not an A in school. Like you, nobody here remembers what test scores they got or whatever at school because it doesn't matter. It's the skills that you've learned that you can apply. And I call it life literacy. What what literacy skills have you got in all aspects of your life to be curious, be creative, have a conversation, all these different skill sets that we're not testing for at the moment. Um, and essentially exactly like what you mentioned, that you pick your team and you pick people that uplift you and have skill sets that not only maybe you don't have, but you work together and they bring the best out in you. Okay. And if you look at what uh, co companies are doing, even major technology companies, the skills that um, I know both Google and um, uh, there's another technology company that I was reading about recently that have done, they've looked at what it takes to be successful. They've looked at the traits that help make their most successful employees. And of the top 10, only one has anything to do with technical expertise. Mm. The others are all about things like being able to learn, being able to collaborate, being able to um, manage, being able to, to um, support and understand colleagues. It's all, you know, what the business world calls soft skills, what we call probably more about executive functions and mm. Uh, you know the which are the the ways that we uh, manage ourselves and manage our relationships with others. Those are the most even at even at a company that is in the leading edge of everything in terms of uh, of uh, technology. That's what works there. That's what's what's important. Mm, and that's not just at work, they're important in life. In, and you'll know the people, soft skills that, you know, that are kind, that are empathetic, that are caring. They're, they're not just doing well at work. They're doing well in life because they're the people you want to be around. They're the people that you want to catch up with. Um, I couldn't agree more with everything you've just said there, Betsy. So people are listening along. Where can we get the book? What sort of brain? Where, where, my brain, where, can you explain a little bit about your website and what people can find? Sure. 
Um, and the book is the, um, Your Child Learns Differently Now What? It's available at most online booksellers. So it's um, it, it should be pretty easy to, to come across it. Um, also suggest that people may um, benefit from going to our website, which is my brainware, brain, B-R-A-I-N-W-A-R-E. So like hardware, software, and brainware. And um, there's a lot, we have a lot of resources there. So there's, a, for example, a free cognitive assessment um, that I really, um, a lot of parents find it really um, helpful. It just, you will rate, rate your child compared to peers. Um, and it really helps you focus on, okay, here's where my child is strong. Here's where my child isn't so strong. Um, but a tremendous amount of information, webinars, white papers, stories, um, just all kinds of um, useful information. So people usually find it quite um, quite interesting. And, and once they start to dig in, they, they learn some things pretty quickly. I'm, I'm sure they do. And once they go down that rabbit hole, it opens up a whole new realm for them, I'm guessing, Betsy. So for <laughs> listeners out there, this is episode number 296. I'll have links uh, to the new book, the website, um, and everything else that you can uh, go and check out and and see the amazing work that Betsy's doing. You can just tell by your energy and passion for what you do, Betsy. It, uh, it is infectious. And I really appreciate you coming on the show today and sharing that because I've thoroughly enjoyed it and it's real realigned certain beliefs and things that I have. Um, and it's yeah, it's so nice to talk to a like-minded individual. So thanks so much for being on the show. Oh, well, thank you. I really, I really appreciate it. Every day I learn something, I think it's a great day. So and I learned <laughs> <Perfect>. today too. <laughs> Perfect. Thanks, Betsy.